What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Christmas is a time where we celebrate the most important birth in all of history. Uh, It's a celebration of God becoming one of us and uh, just being miraculously born as a baby. And God chose to bless Mary as the woman that would bear his child. And she was engaged to Joseph and he chose Joseph to be the one that would be the earthly father of his son. And you know, when uh, one of the main things that expecting parents discuss and uh, try to agree upon before their child is born is the name that they're going to give to that baby boy or that baby girl. And and sometimes having two parents agree on what the name should be uh, can be a bit of a challenge. Uh, When Jenny first got pregnant, we started discussing, and even actually before that, you know, names that we would give if she had a boy or, or if she had a girl. And and there were many names in that discussion that we definitely disagreed upon. For example, Jenny tried to convince me that uh, if we had a boy that we should name him Beauregard, uh, which is uh, the town that she was uh, raised in. And and so, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that. And I kind of jokingly said, well, why don't we just name our son Oceanside, which is the town that I was raised in. Um, But um, she also thought a great middle name would be Cotton. Uh, I didn't agree with that. I thought wool would be much more preferable. Um, But, you know, there were names that uh, I liked that, that Jenny didn't like as well. Um, I really, for a girl, uh, I thought the name JL would be great. And for any of you who are familiar with the story of it, I, I will refresh you if you're not. Uh, a JL is a, is a woman in the book of Judges, and there was a, a wicked uh, king. His name was Sisera. And he's fighting the armies of Israel, and you know the armies of Israel are defeating him, so he flees, and he comes to this tent, and the person in the tents is Jael, and she recognizes this is the wicked king that's fighting, and so she says, hey, you know, come on in, I'll give you some food, I'll give you a place to sleep, and so when he falls asleep, she takes a tent peg and a hammer, and she hammers a tent peg through his temple and kills him, and she's kind of the hero who kills the wicked king, and so I thought, you know what, Jael is a unique name, I think it sounds nice and it would be a preventative measure when our girls got older if some boy came along and I'd be like all right I want you to tell these boys where your name comes from and in your purse I want you to always have a tent peg so that when you're telling the story you know you whip that out and hopefully you know they'll stop hitting on you but you know Jenny liked the idea of the deterrent of boys but she thought the story was a little too uh, much to name our child that and so We didn't agree on that. So we did agree on Scarlet. We did agree on Eden. And I think it's good that, you know, you have both parents discussing baby names and and coming to an agreement. Because if you don't, oftentimes you come up with some 
kind of strange names. And, you know, if you look at celebrities today, I don't think they got anybody that they're bouncing ideas off of when it comes to baby names. Some of them have come up with some really strange names. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Sylvester Stallone named his son Sage Moonblood. Uh, Nicolas Cage named his son Kal-El. He must be a big Superman fan. Uh, Rob Morrow named his daughter Two. But when you have her whole name, it's tomorrow. Uh, Jermaine Jackson named his son Your Majesty. Gwyneth Paltrow named her daughter Apple. And the worst of all, Frank Zappa named his three children Moon Unit, Deweasel, and Diva Thin Muffin. Now, I think that some of these kids, when they turn 18, are going to want to change their name, especially Diva Thin Muffin would be my thought. But, you know, some of you might love your name. Some of you might think, you know what, when I'm 18, or you know, I would love to change my name, or I wish I would have changed my name. But I want you to consider something. If I told you that you had to change your name, but in changing your name, you had to choose something that was descriptive of you and who you are and what you do, what name would you choose? What name do you think would fit well for you that would describe you well? And maybe it would be something like dedicated teacher or hardworking manager or loving mother. I mean, you could probably come up with a pretty accurate name for yourself. Now that you're older, you understand your character and what you're doing with your life. And so, you know, you could come up with a good name that would be accurate to yourself. But, you know, as parents, we often give our kids names full of meaning. But we do that without knowing who our kids are going to grow up to be and, and what they're going to be like and what they're going to do with their life. And, you know, my parents named me Matthew Stephen. Uh, Matthew means gift of God. Stephen means reward. Together that means a rewarding gift from God. And, and sometimes your child lives up to the name that you give them and sometimes they don't. I'm sure there were many years, especially in my rebellious years of life, that my parents were not thinking that I was living up to the rewarding gift of God name that they gave me. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. But the reason that we give names that often don't represent our children is because we don't know how they're going to grow up. We don't know what they're going to do with their life. We don't know ultimately how they're going to turn out. We have hopes and dreams for them, but we're not sure what's going to actually transpire. But what if we could? What if we did know exactly what our kids were going to be like, what they were going to do with their life? If we actually knew that, then we could choose names that were very descriptive of what they were going to be. And that's actually exactly what happened with baby Jesus. You see, Mary and Joseph didn't come up with the name Jesus. They didn't have, you know, get together and start discussing which names they like. What about Beauregard? No. You know, how about Cotton? Nah. How about Sage Moonblood? No, that's not going to be it. Let's go with Jesus. No, they didn't have that discussion. They were given the name by God before Jesus was born. And so God gave this official name. This is the name that I want you to call him and that other people are going to call him as well. But something you might not be aware of is that through the scriptures, God also gives seven other names that people would call baby Jesus. And these were names that weren't going to be his official name, but they are great descriptive names of what he was and what he would do. You know, sometimes we do this as well with nicknames we give to people. Instead of calling the person by their official name that their parents gave to them, we give them a nickname that's descriptive of something about them. 
You know, when I was in high school, we had a star running back for the football team, and he was a huge guy. He was 250 pounds of muscle. He was the fastest guy in our school, and he just ran people over. And the nickname we gave him was Tank, and it was a, a fitting name because when he got that ball, he was like a tank, and he just plowed people over. His real name was Daryl, but no one called him Daryl. We all called him Tank in the, as a descriptive name of kind of what he was like. And so not only in the Bible do we have the official name, for baby Jesus that God gave to Mary and Joseph. We also have seven other names that are descriptive names that give us you know, a wonderful picture of what Jesus would grow up to be like. And it's something that I want us to really focus on this morning as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Instead of going through the details of what I think many of us are probably very familiar of, the Christmas story, we're going to kind of paint a different picture looking at these eight names that we see of Jesus and what they mean and what they reveal about him and what he was and what he became as he grew up and what he ultimately did for all of us. And so the meanings of these eight names are going to hopefully be a great encouragement to those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus. I hope these eight names encourage and challenge you to just kind of think about you know, the different aspects of who Jesus is, and his birth is great, but, you know, all these things that we're going to see about him, and if you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I hope these eight names reveal who Jesus is, reveal what he's done for you, and ultimately reveal to you how you can have a relationship with him. Now, you know what, the first names that were given to baby Jesus were hundreds of years before he was ever born, it was a prophecy that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and he spoke, this is something that's going to be called to baby Jesus. And uh, we see five names given to this, and um, it's in Isaiah 9-6. And for those of you who love listening to Handel's Messiah, uh, this is probably a verse that maybe you even have memorized if you have the song memorized, because every word of this song is, uh, every word of this verse is sung uh, in the song, and so they're probably familiar to some of you. But Isaiah 9-6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here we have this prophecy of the future birth of Jesus. And within this prophecy, we're told five names that people would call him. It's not his official name, but these are descriptive names that people would call Jesus. And the first name that God says that people would call Jesus is Wonderful. The Hebrew word translated wonderful means something marvelous, extraordinary, and astounding, which causes someone to marvel with amazement or be filled with wonder. You know, this is a perfect word to describe Jesus because everything about Jesus is wonderful. Everything about Jesus is extraordinary. It's marvelous. It's astounding. It should really cause us to be filled with wonder when we look at who he is and we look at what he has done for us. You know, Jesus' birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words and teachings are wonderful. His death for us was wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension back to the throne is wonderful. His intercession on behalf of each one of us is wonderful. His coming again 
is wonderful. And so when you look at who Jesus is, you look at what He has done, really this is a great descriptive word for Him because Jesus is wonderful. You know, there's an old song that I love that says, Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God is He. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame, Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. Jesus is wonderful. You know, but sadly, there are some times that we kind of lose that. We lose just how wonderful He is. We lose sight of how extraordinary, how astounding Jesus is. John Rogers wrote this, When was the last time the name of Jesus caused you to marvel? Do you stand in awe of the name of Jesus Christ? Or have you become cool, apathetic, ho-hum, oblivious? Do you not get excited when you think of the name of Jesus? If not, you have lost the wonder. You have calluses on your soul. You know, as we celebrate Jesus' birth this season, I just want you to ponder this question. Have you lost the wonder of Jesus? When you think about Him, when you think about what He's done, when you think about all He is, does it fill you with astonishment? Does it fill you with that wonder? Is He as extraordinary as maybe He once was in your life? You know, there was a man who was on a train ride through the country, and as he stared out the window and he looked at the beautiful landscape that he saw, he just kept saying, wonderful, wonderful. And the person sitting next to him said, you know, what's so wonderful? And he tells the man, you know, I just had surgery. And for years before that, I was without sight. And during that time, I had kind of long forgotten the things that I'd once seen. And now as I look at the blue sky, I see how green the grass is, how beautiful the trees, how bright the flowers. It's wonderful. You know, this man was blind for a while, and he kind of lost sight of just the wonder of creation, the wonder of all that he used to see and be blessed by. And now that his eyes were open once again, he's just seeing that with kind of this new gaze and just realizing what wonderful things are here. And I think, unfortunately, we can be like this man and lose sight of the wonder of Jesus, lose sight of how amazing He is. And if, and if that has happened to you, I really encourage you, pray that God would kind of open your eyes again, that you'd be able to see with new wonder, that you would recognize Him for truly who He is. The second name that God says that people will call Jesus is Counselor. You know, the Hebrew word translated counselor means to advise, consult, give counsel, and guide. This is another name that describes Jesus so well. He is the one that gives the best advice and the best counsel. You know, each one of us are in need of counsel. But the reality is we're surrounded by people who often like to give their counsel, and some of that counsel is invited counsel. We actually want it, we ask for it. We have financial counselors and legal counselors and career counselors and marriage counselors, and, and we're asking for this counsel, but there are also people who 
give us uninvited counsel. We haven't asked for it. We actually even don't even want it from them, but yet you know, they feel the obligation to share it with us. And, and with the rise of social media, we see this all the more, where so many people on social media just love to give you their advice, even though you actually don't want it, but they'll give it to you anyway. And I find interesting that they want to give a solution to your problem when oftentimes they don't have any solution to their own. Uh, but, oh, I know my life's all messed up and I have no clue, but let me tell you how to live yours. And, you know, we just have a culture where, you know, counsel is everywhere. But the question is, are we looking to it for it's in the right place? You know, we have many problems. We need counsel. We need the great counselor, which is Jesus Christ. He knows everything. And he will always counsel us with what is right and with what is true. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. While you may have a friend that talks very sweetly with you and you will say, well, he is a kind, good soul, but I really cannot trust his judgment. You have another friend who has a good deal of judgment, and yet you say of him, certainly he is a man of prudence above a great many, but I cannot find out his sympathy. But we go to Christ. And we get wisdom, we get love, we get sympathy, we get everything that can possibly be wanted in a counselor. You know, not only is Jesus everything that we could possibly want in a counselor, the great thing is that he's always available. You know, for those of you who have ever been in maybe professional counseling, you got to arrange a meeting and these people are busy and they, oh, I can see you in a month or I can see you in a week. Well, I need counsel right now. Well, sorry, I'm booked right now. You know, you're just going to have to wait. That's never the case with Jesus. He's always available. Not only is he always available, he actually encourages us to come and take advantage of his counsel. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God wants us to call to him. He wants us to come to him for counsel, and he's going to show us great and mighty things that we don't know because we have a lot of things that we don't know that God does that we need to come to him for that counsel. So if you're struggling in life right now, you need answers, you need direction, I encourage you, come to Jesus, the counselor. He will give you the answers and the direction that you need. The third name that God says that people will call Jesus is Mighty God. You know, the Hebrew word translated mighty means possessing impressive power, strength, and might. That's another wonderful descriptive word for Jesus. You know, I want you to think if you were there when Jesus walked this earth or, or the people who were, you know, this would definitely have been a word that they would have used to associate with Jesus, someone who is mighty, because Jesus was so mighty in so many things that he did. You know, they would say that Jesus was mighty in miracles because he healed so many people of diseases and issues that he, they had. He fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He was also mighty in words. As they listened to his teaching, as they listened to what he spoke, it was words straight from the mouth of God, words of truth that brought comfort and hope and changed people's lives. He was mighty over demons. They trembled before him. They obeyed him. He would cast them out of people. He, he had power and might over them. You know, but the thing that Jesus was the most mighty in was over sin and over death. 
He sacrificed himself on the cross for our sin. And he died in our place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin, to conquer death. He was more mighty than them. He overcame them so that we could overcome them as well. Adrian Rogers said this about Jesus being the mighty God. This little baby that was upon the straw is the mighty God of creation in Genesis 1. This little baby who held Mary's hand as a toddler and learned to walk is the one from whose fingertips suns sprang and oceans dripped. He's the mighty God. This little boy playing with the shavings in Joseph's carpenter shop is the one who made every tree and every hill and every mountain. He is the mighty God. You know, there's a, a Christmas carol I love to, to hear this time of year. I love to hear it any time, really. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? And, and it's just posing these questions like, Mary, as the mother of Jesus, did you really know how mighty your son would be as he was born there to you? Did you know that someday he'd walk on water? Mary, did you know? That your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. And it's just powerful words of, you know, how much did she really recognize and how much might did she expect from Jesus? You know, if you're going through difficulty this morning, remember that Jesus is the mighty God. He can help you get through anything. There's nothing too big for him. There's nothing too difficult for him. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, the mighty God can get you through it. The fourth name that God says that people will call Jesus is everlasting father. Now, the Hebrew words here translated everlasting father are more literally translated and some of your Bible translations <coughs> translated this way. The father of eternity. Now the idea of these Hebrew words is that Jesus is the source. Father can speak of kind of a paternal thing, but it also speaks of the, the source, the author of something. And so Jesus is the source of all eternity. He is the possessor of eternity and can give it to others. So it doesn't mean that Jesus is the person of the Father in the Trinity. And you're like, wait a second, I thought there was the Father and then Jesus was the Son and now Jesus is the Father as well. That's not what this is saying. Because Jesus is the eternal God, because He has paid for our sin, which is a thing that was separating us from God, He is now able to offer us eternity with God in heaven. Now the important thing to understand is that Jesus owns eternity and He's going to give it to everyone. But the question really is, is he going to give it to you as your savior or is he going to give it to you as your judge? Because he owns it and everyone's going to receive it. But whether or not you believe in him is going to determine whether he gives it to you as savior or whether he gives it to you as judge. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11, says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
of fire. You know, once we die, we're all going to stand before Jesus, the one who owns eternity. And we're either going to stand there as someone who has accepted him and put their trust in him, and our names will be written in the Lamb's book of life, or we're going to be someone who has rejected him in this life, and we will be judged for all eternity as we stand before him. And so Jesus is going to give out eternity to everyone. It's just going to be a matter of what eternity are we going to receive? If we've trusted him, we're going to receive eternity in heaven. If we rejected him, we're going to receive eternity in hell. Jesus' desire is that all of us would spend eternity with him, but he's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to spend eternity with him. He's not going to force you to be in a relationship with him. That's something that you must choose. You have to choose to put your trust in him. And if you do, he will gladly receive you to heaven with him. The fifth name that God says that people will call Jesus is Prince of peace. You know, the Hebrew words translated prince of peace speak of someone who is able to make peace and someone who is able to offer peace to others. And this is a wonderful description of Jesus because he makes peace possible that no one else can. I mean, we live in a world right now where so many people are desperate for peace in the Middle East and peace in our culture and peace between political parties and peace between, you know, different races. And, you know, we want to see peace. And many of us do. And we're, we're looking for that. But, you know, we find that the politicians aren't offering that the way that we'd like or presidents aren't bringing what we want or kings or leaders or, or whatever it is. Man, the, the peace that we want to see so often isn't happening. And what we need to realize is that there is peace that only is found in Jesus. He's the only one who can bring it. And the most important piece of all is the peace that he brings. And that is the peace between us and God. You see, our sin has made us at war with God. But you know what? Our sin has also brought the war between us and other people. But that's the problem that we have in our culture. That's why there's this hatred and racism and, and all these wars and problems. It's because of sin. And so not only do we have war with God because of sin, we have war with others because of sin. But what Jesus has done for us has made it possible to have peace with God and peace with others as well. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus and who He is, that He's God, and what He's done, that He died for your sin and rose from the dead, it now gives you peace with God. Why? Because the thing that was causing war, your sin and my sin, has been dealt with, has been forgiven, and so now we have peace with the one that we once were at war with. You know, Henry Longfellow wrote the Christmas poem, Christmas Bells, which was later on turned into a song, and this poem wonderfully describes Jesus, our Prince of Peace. And I just want to read the words of this poem to you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. In music sweet, the tones repeat, there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries all of Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head there's no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God's not dead, nor does he sleep. For Christ is here, his spirit near, brings peace on earth, goodwill towards men. 
When men repent and turn from sin, the Prince of Peace then enters in and grace imparts within their hearts His peace on earth, goodwill to men. O souls amid earth's busy strife, the Word of God is light and life. O hear His voice and make your choice. Hail peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then happy singing on your way, your world will change from night to day. Your heart will feel the message real of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, we live in a world that's desperate for peace, but they're looking in all the wrong places to find it. The source, the one who truly can give us the peace that we really need is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. It's only found in Him. Adrian Rogers wrote this, When Jesus was on the cross, He made a will. Jesus gave His Spirit to God the Father. Jesus gave His body to Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus gave His mother to John the Apostle. But Jesus gave His peace to you. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus, my friend, this Christmas is the Prince of Peace. You know, if your relationship with God or your relationship with others is having some kind of strife or problems, then come to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, for help. If you need peace in your marriage, if you need peace with children, if you need peace with parents, if you need peace with neighbors or co-workers or friends, come to the Prince of Peace. He's the one who can give you what you need, not only in your peace with God, but in peace with others as well. The sixth name that God says that people will call Jesus is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So notice this is still not the official name. We're going to get to the official name at the very end. These are all just descriptive names, names that people would call baby Jesus. And the name here is Emmanuel. And we're told the the definition of it right there, God with us. You know, the nation of Israel was waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for God to become one of them, to be with them. And what a fitting name that they would use to describe Jesus, God, with us. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. As He was born as a baby, He went from heaven's throne to earth to become one of us and to be with us. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, Word here is speaking of Jesus. He dwelt among us. He lived among us. He was with us. God in human flesh. You know, Emmanuel is a name that should bring each one of us hope. Many people feel that God is far from them, that God is not interested in them, that God doesn't care anything about their life. That's the mindset of of so many. Some will just conclude that there isn't a God at all. And for those who think that He exists, many of them just feel like He's just far off. 
He's not near me. He's not with me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. God loves us desperately. He's with us. He wants to be in our life. If you or someone you love is struggling with illness, you feel all alone, feel there's no one who can help, take comfort in the hope that God is with you. If you're struggling with breaking free from addiction, you tried and you tried, you haven't found victory, take hope. God is with you. If you had your heart broken with a difficult marriage or a relationship, take hope in the fact that God is with you. If you've lost a loved one this year and you're still just struggling with that loss, take hope that God is with you. If you feel lost or struggling with the direction your life is going and you really don't know where to do and, and where to go, take hope that you're not alone. God is with you. You know, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we're given a wonderful promise that I hope brings you hope that when you know it, that you hold on to it. Hebrews 13.5 tells us this, For Jesus Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, this is something that, that's a, such a hopeful statement because we live among people who leave us. Many of you had a father walk out, or you had friends leave you, a spouse depart, whatever it may be. We, we, we understand this. We oftentimes are let down by people. They forsake us. They walk away from us. We can't trust everyone to be with us for good. But that's not God. He says, I will always, you, you put your trust in me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will always be with you through the difficult times, through the good times, no matter what you're going through. I will always be right there by your side. Take comfort in that truth. The seventh name that God says that people will call Jesus is in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. We're told, And the angels answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. You know, of all the names that we have that are descriptive of Jesus, this is one of the most important, but also one of the most accurate because he is the son of God. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. You have the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the son of God. And the son of God chose to leave the throne of heaven and be born as a baby. He decided, I'm going to be born as a son of man. I'm going to become a man. And this is one of the greatest miracles ever. We, you know, we kind of talk about the birth of Jesus at Christmas, but what we're speaking of is one of the greatest miracles to ever happen. We call it the incarnation. God miraculously becoming one of us. What a miracle. It's, it's mind-boggling to really consider the fact that God in His throne decides to leave it all and come and be born as a helpless baby ultimately to live a sinless life and sacrifice Himself on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with Him. But the greatest thing about this miracle is the reason why God chose to do it. Why do you want to become a man? Why would the Father send the Son from heaven to earth? 
John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason that the Father says, I'm willing to give my Son, I'm willing to, to sacrifice my Son, not only to take Him from heaven and go to earth, but willing to allow Him to live there and be rejected and killed, and I'm willing to give the, the sin of the world upon Him, and He take the judgment that this world deserves, even though He is innocent. I'm willing to do that. Why? Because I love the people in the world so much. But you know what? The reason it's possible the reason it's possible that our sins can be forgiven, the reason it's possible that we can escape the consequence of hell that we deserve is in the meaning of the name, the official name that was given to this child. The official name that God gave to Mary, that God gave to Joseph to name the baby was Jesus. And I want to share some insights about this name but first, let's look at how that name was given. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And so this is the angel Gabriel. He's come to Mary, and he specifically tells her, Hey, when this baby's born, this is the name that you shall give it. But an angel also appeared to Joseph and told him something as well in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20 and 21. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So God, through angels, spoke both to Mary and to Joseph and told both of them, I want you to name, this is the official name to give to the baby, and that name that you should give them is Jesus. But notice that the angel goes on to say something more to Joseph. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, let me share a couple interesting insights about the name of Jesus with you. The first thing might surprise some of you. Mary and Joseph never called their son Jesus. What? That's his name. No, Mary and Joseph never called their son Jesus because Jesus is an English word that they never used. The name that God had Mary and Joseph give to their son was a Hebrew name. The Hebrew name is Yeshua, or as we would translate it into English today, Joshua. So you think, well, wait a second. If the Hebrew name is Yeshua and the English translation is Joshua, then where does the name Jesus originate from? Well, if you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so the Greek authors who are writing in Greek, they take this Hebrew word, Yeshua, and they're translating it into a Greek language so that the Greek readers could understand it. And the um, Greek name for Yeshua is Jesus. And the English translation of Jesus is Jesus. For you Spanish speakers, the uh, Spanish translation of the Greek word Jesus is Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, we have just, you're having several translations. So the original word, the Hebrew word uh, you have um, is Yeshua. And then that is translated into Greek, which is Jesus, which is translated for us into English, our language, which is Jesus. Now, the most important thing here is to understand is all these names have the same meaning. 
You know, they're just translations into different language, but they do not lose the meaning of the word. Like my name is Matthew means gift of God. If I was in Mexico, they would call me Mateo, but my name would still mean gift of God. Even though it's translated into Spanish as opposed to English, it doesn't change the meaning. In the same way, just because Hebrew has gone to Greek that's gone to English hasn't changed the meaning of the name. And the meaning of the name is what I want us to focus on. Because Jesus, the meaning of that name is Jehovah or God is salvation. That is the official name that God gave to Mary and Joseph. The official name that says, hey, when everybody hears this name, I want you to name this child Yeshua, Jesus. God is salvation. That's what I want people to think of. That's what I want people to hear when they hear this name. Because the reason ultimately that God chose to leave heaven and come to earth is in the meaning of this name. God is salvation. He came to save us from our sins. That's why right after the angel tells Joseph, name him Jesus, name him God is salvation, he goes on to say, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel right away is making clear, Joseph, name him this because this is his main purpose. This is why he's coming. This is what he's ultimately going to accomplish. He's coming to save people from their sins. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save those which are lost. And the Bible says that all of us were lost because of the sin that we have committed. That sin lost us the relationship that we had with God. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. There's no one who's exempt. There's no one who's like, well, you know what? I've never done anything wrong. I've never broken God's commandments. I've never fallen short of God's perfect standard. No, the Bible says all of us are sinners. Some worse than others, but the bottom line is it doesn't matter. All of us are guilty. And because we are guilty, there are consequences to our sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that we earn. Our sin has earned us something. It's earned us death. And this isn't just speaking of physical death. This is also speaking of spiritual death, which is far worse. Because spiritual death in the Bible is referring to an eternity in hell where we are separated from God. So that's the bad news. Each one of us are sinners. And because we are sinners, we suffer the judgment of our sin, the judgment of God upon us, which ultimately is hell. But there's good news. And the good news is in the name of Jesus. He is God is salvation. He sacrificed himself. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He took your sin and my sin upon himself. He paid the price that we should have paid. He took the judgment of God on our behalf. He died in our place. And three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin, and to conquer death. And the way that you and I can receive what Jesus has done for us is told to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Salvation is not something that you have to work for, that you have to try to earn through your good works. It's a free gift. Jesus did all the work necessary on the cross. We just put our faith in Him, and we put our faith in the work that He has done for us. It's by grace, that free gift that we don't deserve, and by faith in Christ that ultimately brings us the salvation that Jesus made possible for us. So this Christmas season, as we celebrate Jesus' birth, I want to encourage you to think about these eight different names, to think about the meaning of these names. And it's my hope for those of you who have already put your trust in Jesus that these names would just be something that encourage you, but also that they would really help you to think deeply about you know, all these different aspects of who Jesus is to you, what He has done for you. And so as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, to kind of see Him in this totality of all that He is and worship Him for it. And if any of you haven't put your trust in Jesus, it's my hope that the meaning of these eight names, they reveal to you who Jesus is, that He is God, what He has done, that He died on the cross for your sin, that He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, and that how you can receive that is by putting your trust in Him and what He's done and asking Him to forgive you of your sin. Let's pray.